Well, this is awkward. Anybody else feel a little awkward? How many of you felt your anxiety level rise right there? A little bit? Some honest people? How, how many of you were wondering what went wrong? <laughs> Did Peyton miss his notes? Is he asleep? I don't know. It's like we don't know what to do with quiet, do we? We don't get it enough to know what to do when it's quiet. How, how many of you started like talking to your neighbor, like whispering? Or how many of you were squirming in your seat, just like, maybe I need to like use the restroom all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe I just need to get up and get moving. Me? I was just sitting there pondering life and all the big questions, you know, just as you do. No, I'm, I was just as awkward, it felt just as awkward to me as it did to you, because I equally don't know what to do when it's quiet, when there's nothing going on. I don't know what to do with nothing. In fact, the most common thing that we do with nothing is we'll whip out our phone. How many of you did that? You're like, well, I've got some free time, I guess. I'll just see, <laughs> see what's going on. Yeah, this, this thing, this device, it's a treasure trove of distractions. We talked about this a little bit last week. Sometimes I wonder, what did people even do before smartphones? Like, what did life look like for those people? Like, what did you do when you were waiting in the drive through line at Chick-fil-A because it's backed up? Like, what did you do? Like, when the DMV was moving a little slower, what did you do before, like, church started? Like, what did you fill that space with? Well, this will surprise some of you who are my age and younger. Nothing. You just did, people used to just do nothing and were okay with it, but we're not very good at nothing anymore. In fact, we just take a couple of seconds of nothing and all of a sudden we start getting uncomfortable. We start filling the nothingness with something. There was a study done by Microsoft. Many of you have probably heard this study. It was talking about our attention span. And they were saying with, with sorrow in their hearts that the attention span of the average person dropped from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to a mere eight seconds today. That's why things like TikToks and these shorts on Instagram and, and YouTube have gotten so popular because our attention span can only last so long. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to compare it to something, give us some context of how short eight seconds actually is. And so by the study um, reported by Time, they actually concluded that a notoriously ill-focused goldfish can actually hold its attention for nine seconds. Meaning that our little goldfish friend here will likely stick with me longer than you will this morning. <laughs> By the way, this is uh, Swish, because he looks like a little basketball. So this is Swish the fish up here that we named as a new member of our family right here. The reality is, is that many of us don't know what to do whenever we are alone with our thoughts. Like I said, we don't give ourselves enough time to be alone with our thoughts, and so we'll flip on Netflix, 
or one of our many streaming platforms. We'll turn on the news or sports channels. We'll watch. We're going to be watching the Super Bowl from when we get home today, even though the game doesn't start till 6.30. We're just going to have it on, you know, kind of background noise. We'll jump on social media and just go into doom scrolling and just scroll and scroll and scroll until the game starts. We won't stop scrolling. We'll just scroll and watch the game. And the problem is what John Mark Comer, author and pastor, says. He says this new normal of hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present, present to God, present to other people, present to all that is good and beautiful and true in our world, even present to our own souls. So when a moment of silence is forced upon us, kind of like it was this morning, we don't know what to do with it. We feel uncomfortable. It feels a little unnerving. Maybe for some of you it felt threatening. Like, what is this? I feel like I'm being attacked right now. But what if, what if there are realities? What if there are truths that can only be found in silence and solitude? What if there's things about God that we don't know because we won't simply stop and be quiet? For some of us, that sounds a little weird, a little abstract, a little foreign, partly because we've never been silent enough to discover that for ourselves. We are in week two of our series, Rest, where we are discovering that, and I, when I say discovering, I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, I was hopefully just as vulnerable, as vulnerable as I could be, that I am struggling with rest and slowing down myself but in this series, we're trying to discover together that perhaps the way God wants us to progress is to learn to stop and rest. This series is based on many resources. One that's notable is from that author and pastor, John Mark Comer. I encourage you to read his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. In that book, he talks about this melody of our life called hurry sickness. You remember this from last week? A, a phrase that was coined by Meyer Friedman in 1950, a cardiologist who identified, one of the first people to identify, chronic stress to heart disease and the connection these two realities have. Here's how Friedman defined hurried sickness. He says, it is a contagious struggle, uh, sorry, a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more and more events with less and less time. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like my Tuesday, right? Most of us live with this hurried sickness and this phonetic pace of our life. It is cutting us off from our connection to God from some realities about God. It's, it's cutting us off from our connection to other people around us. And as Comer says, it might be cutting us off from our very soul. And so we need to pay attention to when Jesus says, we talked about this last week, come to me, all who labor, all who are exhausted, and I will give you rest. You will find it in me. And then look, pay attention to yellow. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. But here's what Jesus is saying there. If you want to experience the life Jesus has to offer you, you have to be willing to live the life that Jesus lived. And that's the motivation behind this entire sermon series. That's the motivation of our church-wide challenge of Sabbath Sundays from social media. How many of you, show of hands, were able to uphold the Sabbath from Sundays? Okay, all right, great. Uh-oh, our young adult group back there was uh, not as many hands back there, <laughs> right? Yeah, so if you're not aware of our Sabbath, it is from Saturday when we go to bed to Monday when we wake up, no social media. It's one day, 24 hours to choose something else in our life. And if you found yourself struggling or you found yourself saying, I don't need to do that, you are likely the one who needs it the most. It's choosing something different, replacing that time. And I'm telling you, today is the real kicker right? With Super Bowl and everything going on, here's a pro tip. You can still watch the game. You can actually watch games and not be on social media at the same time. I've tried it one or two times. It's actually a pretty good time. So today we're talking about a rule of life that Jesus had. Jesus had a lot of rule of life. You can find them in the first four books of the New Testament. We call those the Gospels. And we are going to be talking about one that Jesus engaged in regularly, one that he loved to do, not just to help him with critical thinking, not just to connect him to other people around him, but to connect to his Father, who is the same Father as us, his Creator, the one who brought him into the world. You see, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Luke, the physician and author of Luke's gospel, gives us insight into this practice of solitude. We'll be using that phrase throughout. Solitude simply means to get away from the noise and to be present with God. Here is uh, Luke's telling of, of Jesus' solitude. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, this is after Jesus' baptism, and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was naturally hungry. So we got to pay attention to a couple things here. One is that this is how Jesus chooses to begin his ministry absolutely alone. Jesus isn't with his disciples. He doesn't even have disciples at this point. He's not with John the Baptist. He's not with Mary and Joseph and his connections to his family. The only two people that are in this scene are Jesus and the devil. That's the only people. And I find it interesting that this is how Jesus decides to kick off his public ministry. Forty days by himself. That's not typically how we would start a big project, right? You see, if I was Jesus' career counselor, I might say, all right, Jesus, got a big ministry coming up. We got to kick this thing off with a bang. We got to get people buzzing and talking. We're going we're gonna to get you famous, going to get you some big following groups. Maybe you get on TikTok. You can do a little water to wine magic in there, and then we'll get, it, we'll get everybody talking about this thing. That's not what Jesus chooses. 
Jesus instead chooses to go off by himself for 40 days. I've always thought of the wilderness as the place of weakness. Have you ever thought of it that way? I mean, he is fasting after all. He's tired. He's hungry. But here's what God is revealing to me right now. As I equally try to practice rest in my life, that the wilderness is not a liability. It was the source of Jesus' power. What happens in the wilderness? It's in the wilderness that Jesus denies evil's temptations. It is in the wilderness that Jesus denies his own desires and pleasures. It is coming out of the wilderness that Jesus has power that this world has never seen before, that he launches into a ministry that would change the entire world and all of existence. It came out of the wilderness, not in spite of it. And solitude was not just a one-time event for Jesus either. You see, that is an excuse that I often fall into. I'm like, well, I had a time in my season, you know, my life, a season in my life, where I could have stopped and slowed down, but man, things have just picked up. Things at the office have just gotten crazy. I've, I've bumped up and have too many responsibilities now. I have kids now, so kids don't give you a chance to take a break. Oh, I have grandkids now. Now I got to see grandkids all the time. That season has passed me. Here's what I want to show you is that Jesus, it was not a one-time moment. It was a rhythm of his life. Later on in Luke's gospel, a couple chapters, Jesus, or Luke says about Jesus that he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. The Greek here can be translated as he regularly was withdrawing and praying. Jesus did this frequently. In fact, Luke's gospel will record nine different times that simply talk about Jesus getting away and praying and being alone. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is just Jesus the introvert, right? That's just a personality of Jesus. Shout out to all the introverts out there, right? Woohoo! Introverts would be like, woo. <laughs> Quiet. I don't think this has anything to do with if Jesus is an extrovert or an introvert. I think it has everything to do with Jesus being absolutely in tune with what God wants to do through his life. And he saw it as a necessity to get away regularly, which begs the question, if Jesus felt the need to withdraw, if the Son of God recognized that he needed to withdraw regularly, doesn't it make sense that we would need it as well? Theologian William Barclay once said it this way, it may well be that the whole trouble in our lives is that we give God no opportunity to speak to us because we do not know how to be still and to listen. We give God no time to recharge us with spiritual energy and strength because there's no time when we wait upon him. How can we shoulder life's burdens if we have no contact with him who is the Lord of all good life? 
See, Jesus made it a habit to withdraw, to listen to the voice of God. And I, again, I hear your, your pushback because this is what I fought through all week of saying, well, listen, that's all good about Jesus. He kind of lived in that style, that, that time of life. But Jesus didn't have a phone buzzing in his pocket all the time. Jesus didn't have a boss demanding certain things from him 24-7. Jesus didn't have five different kids' calendars to manage and get them all in the right place. Like, I wish I could live the life Jesus did, but Jesus doesn't have the demands that I have in my life. And I would dare say that Jesus lived under a constant demand, one that we don't even have an inkling about. In fact, let me give you just a snapshot a snapshot that Mark gives us in Jesus' life. What a day might have looked like to Jesus. Please excuse us as Luke 6. I was supposed to say Mark chapter 6. And in this little snapshot that we get of Jesus' life, is Jesus and his disciples, they're with crowds, they're teaching, they're doing all these amazing things, and they didn't even have time to stop and to eat. That's how busy they were didn't have time to pull into the local McDonald's and grab a Big Mac and then get back onto the road and get things going, right? And you get that. So busy that you missed a meal. Many of us know that reality. Constant voices, constant phone calls, constant demands, constant people wanting things from us. But I want you to pay attention because this isn't about comparing Jesus' busyness and your busyness. It's about comparing your response to busyness and Jesus' response. Here was Jesus' response. He turns to his disciples and he says, Now come with me by yourself to a quiet place and let's get some rest. In fact, the busier Jesus got or the bigger the, the demand that Jesus had, it seemed he was more and more intentional about withdrawing for solitude. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Solitude is extremely hard practice. This isn't one that you just are going to pick up at, at the end of this. You may pick it up for a couple days, but it's a rule of life that demands something from you because you will always have needs. There's always going to be somebody that needs you. You're always going to have demands from work. There's no getting away from those things. You're always going to have a TV tempting you if you're retired. It's choosing something different. And I would argue that this regular practice of solitude that Jesus had, that that is the source of his energy. That is why Jesus was able to love the way that only Jesus could love. It's why Jesus was able to serve the only way Jesus was able to serve because in solitude, we actually slow down and we can hear the voice of God. Listen, there are countless voices trying to get your attention every single day. If it's kids or if it's bosses or if it's spouses or if it's some other friend group or the world or the news anchors, they are trying to distract not always bad, it's just distractions from the limited mind and heart space that you have. So you have to decide when you choose to be quiet and when you choose to listen. You are going to have a phone always ringing. You're going to have overcrowded calendars, all of these demands in your life. But here's what I'm going to tell you. 
Write it down, take a picture. God is not going to try to speak over all of the noise in your life. God is not going to try to yell to get you to pay attention. He's going to wait until you learn to be still and listen. Until you seek him and listen for him. Whenever you learn to stop being distracted by all the noise in the world, because all of the noise is drowning out the voice that we need to hear the most. The voice of God calling us closer to him, and yet we fill our mind and our ears and our thoughts with everything else but God. And whenever you can't hear the voice of God, you're going to hear other voices. You're going to hear voices telling you that you're not good enough, louder and louder and louder. You're going to hear voices telling you you're not a good spouse. You're not a good parent. You're not a good employee. You're not a good friend. And those voices, as they amplify around you, it's going to drown out the voice that's telling you, you are my beloved child. Come to me. Let me give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. We need to remember who we are in Jesus, and part of that happens when we learn to embrace the silence. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm not experiencing this transformative power that Jesus promises us. And maybe, maybe for me, that's not because God is absent, it's just because I'm distracted. You know, solitude creates this environment. That's all it does. It's creating an environment where my relationship with God can grow. And it's not a bonus. It's not like Jesus didn't treat it like, hey, if it's a good day and the stars align, then I will find solitude. For Jesus, it was a must. In fact, spiritual writer Henry Nouwen, which if you, you might have read some of his works, he once said this, Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. So the question is, how do we follow Jesus' rule of life of solitude? How do we learn to stop? and be silent, and capture these moments in our life, in our 21st century chaotic lives that we live, I want to suggest two practices for you today. Two practices that you can adopt. One of them is called simple moments of solitude. The second one is called set times of solitude. All my picture takers, you're going to want to wait. This thing is going to fill out a little bit for you, and then I'll make sure you can get your picture in. So I want to talk about these two ways of solitude. Let's start with simple moments of solitude. So every day provides numerous opportunities for you. And there's two choices. You can choose to be distracted by it, not always bad, but a reality, or you can choose to capture moments of solitude and silence. Those are your two options in all of these moments. Take, for example, enjoying coffee in the morning. If you're a coffee drinker, you can drink coffee and that's it. You don't have to scroll on your phone to catch up on the sports games or to see what's happening across the world. You don't have to turn on the news. I go on a walk uh, periodically at around 5 a.m. Hollis will get up, don't want to wake the family up, I'll go on a walk. 
I'm not kidding when I say, whenever I go on that walk, about 25% of TVs are already on. People all, and it's, it's usually always news channels. Now, I'm not judging them because I have headphones in while I'm walking, right? I'm right there with them, but the noise begins so early. Choose something different. Another simple moment, watching your kids play. If you have kids, all of our young parents here, right? Go on a park bench, watch them play. Don't scroll on your phone. Don't read a book. That's my temptation. Or it can be in your living room. Watch them play. Watch them explore. Get down and play with them. Enjoy the moment. Another example is, this is my hard one, taking walks without headphones in. This is where I struggle, right? I did it. It's been a while, but I did it last night. I went on a walk, me and Hollis, you know, putting him to sleep, and we're walking along, and I intentionally had to leave my headphones at home so that I wouldn't be tempted on the walk to plug them in and listen to something, and it was nice. I, I heard one, before I put this last one up here, I heard another one about leaving your phone or not getting on your phone in the car, letting that be a holy space for you. I heard one uh, couple from our church, they were driving up to the airport to pick up one of their kids, and the wife left her phone at the house about 15 minutes in. She's like, oh, I forgot my phone, and he's like, don't worry about it. I mean, it's only a couple of hours. She's like, oh, but I had so many calls, so many things I could have gotten done. He said it was one of the best car rides they've had in a while, just because they were forced in the best kind of way to be with each other. How about this one? Have anybody ever tried breath prayers before? These are moments that you can practice. It's a way to meditate on Scripture, to ruminate on Scripture. It's super easy. You take a verse. We'll take, for example, Psalm 23, and you pray in a part of the verse, breathe in, and then you breathe out. So it would be like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you repeat. Actually, let's practice it. You don't have to say it out loud. Please don't. Breathe with me, say the Lord is my shepherd, breathe in, and then out, I shall not want. Breathe in, breathe out. Imagine doing that over and over and over again while you wait for your kids in the pickup line, as you wait in line at the grocery store, as you are sitting around and your thoughts are racing and you feel really anxious, you're already going to breathe. And this is a way to breathe or to pray without ceasing, to continually be with God in our thoughts. These are simple moments of solitude. Last one I want to talk about are called set times of solitude. And this is a way of adapting into a rule of life, right? This is what we imagine when we talk about Jesus, is that he went away at a set time, at a certain moment, and was intentionally with God. These are the kinds of moments that you can put on your calendar. That's how set they are. And you can adapt it. I'm just going to give you three things to help you set your time of solitude. Number one is pick a place. Pick a place that you're going to do it. This could be a a very specific chair. It could be a certain room in your house, but that is your space. When you go there, it's your thinking, it's your praying, it's it's your solitude time. For me, I have a little rickety gazebo in my backyard. That's my space. That's my space. I call it my holy gazebo, right? Whenever I go out to my gazebo, that's whenever I think. That's whenever I'm away. What's it for you? 
Pick a place. Number two, pick a time. Pick a time. What time works with your schedule? If you're a morning person, set an alarm 30 minutes earlier. So before the busyness of life starts, your 30 minutes are carved out. This is my time with God. If you're a night owl, set a timer that says at this time, TV goes off, phone gets put away, uh, book gets put down, social media is off, it's all turned off, and right before bed, this is my time with God. What's your time? My time is Friday. I usually pick somewhere in the afternoon on Friday. We don't work in the office. Darian's at work. Kids are at daycare. 30 minutes to an hour in my holy gazebo thinking time. Finally, pick a plan. Pick a plan. There's no wrong way to spend time with God. He just wants you to be with him. But whenever you have a plan of how you're going to enter into this time, it's easier for you to take those steps. So for you, it may be reading through the Bible and you have a Bible reading plan. For you, it may be uh, this breath prayers and just breathing the same prayer over and over. For others of you, it may be the Quest 52. You, you read the chapter, but then you set it to the side and you just allow yourself time to think about it, to pray over it. For me, I have a journal and I usually will have a prompt over something happening in my life and I'll spend 15, 30, an hour just thinking about that prompt praying over it, asking for God's guidance, putting it down, and just allowing silence to happen. It's all adaptable, but the point is, are you capturing the simple moments of solitude, all of these moments that you have in your life, to choose something different, and then do you have set times in your life that are designated to be away, to silence the noise, to be present with God. Remember, as Nowen says, living a spiritual life is virtually impossible without solitude. And if we are not going to take our spiritual journey seriously, then let's just keep going with the way we're going. Let's just keep the noise input on full demand. But if you want something different, if you want to hear from God and experience his transforming spirit in ways you may never have in your entire journey with Jesus, we invite you into the moments of silence and what you can hear in those moments. So we're going to conclude today the way we started. I'm going to invite you to enter a few moments of solitude and silence. Now, I know how hard this is about to be for some of you. It's going to be really difficult. Some of you are like, I think I can still get out before the sermon ends. I think I can get out of here just in time. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what the easy thing to do is. The easy thing to do would just be to open up your phone. You know, you know you'll have a couple minutes. No one's really going to keep you accountable. You can just go away into your mind, into your phone. The easy thing would be to, you know, whisper to the person next to you to, you know, play elbow jabs with them or to get your kids and, you know, wrestle them together. Maybe the easy thing for you would be just to start packing up your bag, you know, Bible and, you know, on top of the notepad and next to me, okay, I'm ready to go whenever it's time. That's the easy thing. I'm inviting you into the hard thing. And the hard thing this morning is to just embrace the silence to just be present with it, with no strings attached, 
No agenda except to simply be present with God. So maybe for you, that's closing your eyes. Maybe for you, it's breathing and praying quietly. But I invite you with me to embrace the silence. Father, thank you for the silence. For some of us, that was the longest minute and a half that we have ever experienced of all eternity. But Father, we just, we pray, we pray that you, it will be your moment. That for some of us, you introduced us to something we've never experienced in our life or we haven't experienced in a long time. Others of us, we're very aware what silence sounds like but not intentional silence, not seeking your voice in the silence. But Father, here's what I believe. I believe that you can do more in two minutes of silence than I could ever do in a day's of work. So Father, if I truly believe that, give me the strength, give me the courage to be intentional about being quiet, about not drowning out your voice with all of the noise, if it's people talking, if it's the talking heads of the internet or of the news or of sports, if it's the anxiety and the thoughts that race through my mind nonstop, Father, just silence the noise. Help us find rest by embracing silence. Father, I'm grateful for this church, for our church family. I'm thankful for the challenge that 
we push each other to be better. So Father, today is our Sabbath day from social media. And some of us, we fell off the horse. Some of us are really fought through it and it was tough. Some of us just totally ignored it and said, that's not for me. Father, help all of us together as a church say no to the desires of our flesh, of our minds, of our fingers as they click open apps without us even knowing. Father, give us your strength, your boldness to just say no. I don't need it. Even on Super Bowl Sunday, I don't need it. It's just noise that is drowning you out. So Father, help us today, from this moment, everybody in this room, just say, hey, for the next, the next few hours, I'm going to choose something different. We choose something different. God, thank you for the series. Thank you for what you're teaching me in it. And I pray you will be glorified in the moments that we just had and in the moments that we're all going to have this week. We give it to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.